You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 42, covering More Tribbles, More Troubles, The Survivor, The Infinite Vulcan, and The Magics of Megas 2, with special guest Brian Lynch. Listeners, friend listeners, <laughs> we have a guest with us this week. Uh, Mr. Brian Lynch has requested uh, a, a spot to uh, to review some of the animated series' more ridiculous offerings. Greetings, fellow Klingons. So, oh, God, I'm never going to get it. Actually, don't you mean Klingons? Klingons. Yes. Yeah, they start that again this week. <laughs> don't mean to step on any of your observations there. But... Yeah. Yes. Um, why, why don't you start us out with um, with the with the follow up to the classic Trek episode, uh, "The Trouble with Tribbles"? More troubles, more tribbles. And with that imaginative title, we open with the Enterprise en route to Sherman's planet, where the colonists are badly in need of grain, which the Enterprise is protecting. If you think this sounds familiar, don't. They're transporting Quinto Triticale. It's completely different stuff. <laughs> Before Arix has time to tell them that it was invented on his home planet, they come across a small ship being fired on by Klingons. Kirk hails the Klingons and attempts to beam the ship's pilot over, with no result for either. He commands the ship to move ahead. He then hails the Klingons. No response. He tries to beam the pilot aboard. No result. He orders the ship ahead. He hails the Klingons. How is it possible to pad this much in a 20-minute cartoon? <laughs> Welcome to Filmation. <laughs> Ah, uh, anyway, the Klingons attempt to make Kirk hand over the mystery pilot. The Klingons are led, of course, by Koloth, who sounds less like William Campbell and more like James Doohan on Helium. But as the transporter finally comes through, we learn that they've blown the guest star's budget on their other star, who introduces himself with a hearty, Friend Kirk! Yes, it's Cyrano Jones, and he's brought Tribbles, which are pink now. Huh. Anyway. These Tribbles are genetically altered to be sterile, and on top of that, Jones has found himself a Tribble Predator, which is a sort of carnivorous latka called a glomer. And as far as he's concerned, once the population is settled, there'll be no Trib... You know. So, everything's coming up Cyrano, right? Not so. They find out that these new Tribbles increase geometrically in size and weight when they eat, which causes particular fuss when they get into all the grain, which, of course they do, because no one learned anything from the last time. Kirk immobilizes the Klingon ship by beaming the now-enormous triples into its engine rooms and engages in a tense standoff with Koloth. It's like Balance of Terror, if it was all in pastel colors, and secretly about pom-poms. <laughs> After a brief and terrifying moment when Koloth materializes instantly on the Enterprise bridge, oh wait, that was just an animation error, uh, he finally reveals that the Glomer is a Klingon-engineered creature that Jones stole to get out of his triple-cleaning job on K-7. They beam the glomer over to Koloth, the Zachary Quinto Triticale is safe, and all of the Thank you. And all of the giant tribbles turn into lots of little ones, which doesn't make any sense, but at least gives us an excuse to see Kirk and Koloth covered in tribbles. Scotty tries to end the episode with another pun, but you know he can't match the first one, so I don't think he should have bothered going to all that tribble. Oh. Oh, and the Klingons have a super weapon or something. <laughs> I, you know, I had high hopes when the title card came up and it said written by David Gerald because... Yeah, the uh, same guy who wrote the original. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, it's it's good. You expect it good. And the Klingons having a super weapon was a good idea, but it just, it never... No. 
did anything. And I'm I'm a fan of David Gerald in in general. Like he wrote a, a decent uh, uh, time travel novel, uh, mm-hmm. The Man Who Folded Himself. And so I'm like, okay, well, it wasn't just a one shot thing. Like Trouble with Tribbles wasn't just you know maybe cleaned mm-hmm. up by by DC Montana or something. Like the guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I, my theory is that. Uh, he, he he realized that this was a kid's show, realized he could just phone it in and just kind of follow the same beats as last time. And yeah. that's or the, even no, that maybe he was just, yes, but then maybe he was just trying to dumb it down because the, the dialogue is still very sharp. True. It's I, just there's like a lot of like nice, like quick little bits. I, I had a hard time choosing a quote. Yeah, there were there were a lot of like nice little one liners. I'll give you that. He, he does write himself some good, uh, you know, pithy one liners, but mm-hmm. uh but the plot is... Yeah. And as you say, how can they pad a show that's already half as long as, as the live-action series was? That whole scene where, where Scotty and or Kyle is just constantly fiddling with the transporter things. Oh, yeah. Push the things up, pull the things down. Push the things up, <laughs> pull the things down. Captain, I'm pushing the things up and I'm pulling them down, but it's not working. And, and also, as, I keep getting a mustache for some reason. Yeah, Scotty and Kyle, I guess, are sharing the one handlebar mustache that, that's in the <laughs> transporter room, because Scotty's there, you know, looking normal, and then he's got Kyle's mustache, and then he doesn't. And I actually, um, speaking of animation I, errors, I didn't yeah. I didn't spot the one you were talking about in the in your summary there with the... Uh, well, it's the, they're always showing Koloth on the view screen, mm-hmm. and I guess they're just, like, laying, like, the view screen over the animation cell for Koloth, because they put him on top of it accidentally at one point. <laughs> So instead of his chest stopping at the view screen, it's just him standing there. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I, I the noticed that the... would actually help if Worf shut the view screen. Yeah, no kidding. Although he, <laughs> he would not shoot a fellow Klingon. No, that's true. Yeah. Um, some good points. This is the first time we've seen ships that don't look exactly like the Enterprise. Yes. They were robot ships. Yeah, that's a cool <laughs> idea. Yeah, but they they were ships, you know. Yeah, and and they I mean they just carried grain, so it makes sense. Why would they? You know, doesn't need a pilot. An autopilot no. is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put little nacelles on them so they look like Starfleet ships, like we would come to know later on. That was kind of yep. cool. Mm-hmm. I, I I've probably pointed this out before, but it bears repeating. I love the look of the old style Klingon ships. The, uh, the oh, they're so great. The cruisers. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know if you guys know the story about they're they're called the K seven cruisers. Do you know why they're called that? Because of the no. space station? No, actually, no, it's D7. I'm sorry. Not K7. I, I was, I was thinking you, of the space station. <laughs> why um, do you lie to us? I know, I know. I'm sorry. Um, no, the, apparently there was a there's a scene where uh, uh, Nimoy and Shatner are on, like, the third, you know, the 35th take or something, and they're, like, uh, arguing over a piece of dialogue. Well, that's clearly a D7-type cruiser, Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, I don't know. It's not, and 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 Gene finally walks in. Like, what are you guys doing? Apparently, it was a big joke on him. <laughs> They're just like mocking all the stuff they'd heard at the conventions and stuff, like all the all the nitpicky nerds. And just, it's it's since become a D seven cruiser in canon, just because oh, they were uh, taking the piss. So. It's because they can't do anything to make fun of fans that we won't just immediately take on as you know a beloved fact. Well, He's th- right. They are D seven. <laughs> this was uh, this was pre-internet. Nerds hadn't developed irony yet, so <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously. And then, of course, there was the uh, the ensign that we all latched onto. <laughs> yes, ensign oh, yes. sad sack. Yeah. yeah. Uh, may I may I describe him? Yes, by all means, please do. He's a. Um, there's this one scene where after Cyrano Jones beams on, 
there was Scotty and Kyle and Kirk and Bones and Spock all in the transporter room. And then this one random guy who's just skinny little guy who's just drawn with like a slouch and the most morose <laughs> expression on his face. He, he looks a lot like, uh, what, what's his name? Chris Evans, the guy playing uh, Captain America. Uh, be- yeah. Before they bought him up to be Captain <laughs> yes. America. It's Captain America's before picture. So yeah. we called him Ensign Sad Sack and made many delightful quotes of, he sounds like a slightly downer Mr. Hengus, we seem to have decided. <laughs> yep. And and you uh, you immediately jumped into our tradition of just making up these elaborate <laughs> lies for characters that uh, get about ten seconds of screen time. Well, I suppose my favorite I'll... part of Star Trek at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we really need, and Brian, you, you're welcome to join us on this. Uh, we need to make a pitch of all these all these characters we've created for the whole oh, absolutely the green guy and yeah, Diamato and uh, <laughs> oh! his horrible wife. <laughs> it just. Oh, because I just I just pictured like you know uh, Ensign Sadsack go and inform the uh, captain that they've arrived in the transporter. Okay. <laughs> so we started doing this sort of droopy voice for him, and then I was picturing that scene from uh, Roger Rabbit going down, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not till my next episode. <laughs> All right. So we should probably talk about what the hell that Klingon weapon was. You did tack it on there, oh, sort of an afterthought, yeah. but that's because the writer did the same. Yeah, I was like, if they're not, because it didn't do anything. It supposedly it disabled their ship entirely. Yeah, which it, uh, it, it I, looked like their ship was shooting web out of it, though. It did. It looked like a Spider-Man web. It, it looked like um, from uh, from the Venture Brothers pilot. It looked like an U-ray, which they called because it looks like it's shooting a bunch of O's out. <laughs> that's my U-ray. <laughs> the walking eye. Walking eye. It's a walking eye. But I mean, okay, so it's a weapon that, that drains all the power from the Enterprise and thus drains the power from the Klingon ship while it does that. So yeah. I, I guess I can so see a desperate Klingon captain using something like that, but it doesn't really seem useful. Yeah, no, it drains all the... Well, well no, because a desperate one wouldn't be able to use it because it requires all the energy that they have and takes forever to recharge. Yeah. I... So if they were desperate, that would imply that they're out of... Yeah, I suppose that's yeah. true. No, I I got nothing. I was try- I was really trying to find the uh, the silver lining there, and I just I yeah. We will drain the energy from both our ships, and then we will fight them, and then we will go over there and actually fight them. <laughs> well, that is honorable. There is what what Uhura said in like her one line in the episode when they were talking about uh you know our phasers are down, our photon torpedoes are down, and Uhura just goes, "We could throw triples at them." Yeah. <laughs> oh no 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 no! She says we could throw rocks at them. Oh, we could throw rocks at them. That's right. And then, then Spock, then Spock says, says we could throw dribbles at them. He's not kidding. Is <laughs> say, I didn't know you knew how to tell jokes. I do not. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm deadly serious. <laughs> that worked really well. Uh, Koloff had, actually had a couple of good lines. Uh, I I thought the way he was written was okay, but as you said, uh, his voice just not not great. Well, this is Captain Koloff. Yeah. As read by James Duhan. Obey me. Obey me. <laughs> <laughs> That, I think so far isn't Matt isn't that your your breakout character for uh, the animated series? Yes, the obey <laughs> me guy. Don't leave me <laughs> so alone. Oh, that was sad, you guys. Yeah, it was. It, it kind of was. You should hang. You should hang out with Ensign Sadsack. <laughs> he I have a friend. He could live on him. Obey me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the way Koloth was written, I I like. 
now that we're a few years into the adventures of Kirk, I like that there are guys who run into him and like, no, 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 no. I'm, I don't, I don't buy any of your shit. You're stalling for time. You're bluffing. No, I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. Like, I like when people react to him now that he has kind of a reputation. Yep. <laughs> well, I'll just evacuate the ship. It won't take too long. No. Uh-uh. I've heard of you. Fool me once. Shame on you. Yeah. You know, how many, you know how many other Klingon captains you've screwed I've gone drinking with? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you don't. You think we don't talk to each other? Because we totally do. <laughs> also, what an amazing coincidence that Tribbles show up just just when Sherman's planet needs more something Triticale. Oh, yeah. The Enterprise is transporting Triticale. The, the mm-hmm. Tribbles show up. Kolov is the one after. Oh, yeah. And, and you pointed out that, uh, that our... Our favorite Klingon, uh, what's his actual name? Oh, uh, Garbage. Yeah, the Garbage guy. <laughs> Actually, he was uh, in the background, we think. Yeah, well, no, he, he was the guy that uh, he talks to at the end. You'll hear him. He doesn't sound anything like he did, used to, but you'll hear him in my quote of the episode. Oh, nice. Sorry, I didn't Which mean is, to... Uh, oh, no, no, it's fine. I, was, I wasn't going to specifically bring it up, but, you know, he has the curly hair, and it's a, like a lighter brown than all the other Klingons, so right. I assume that was him. And and my my one other point that I wanted to make be, beaming triples over to the Klingon ship as a as a defense isn't that biological warfare? I mean, really, that's kind of I don't know. But yeah, while they're playing it for a laugh, isn't that horrible? At the <laughs> very least, it's horrible for the triples. Well, yeah, because they're not they're not going to survive that. That's no. True. It's even more biological warfare because these are giant triples filled with tiny triples for some reason. Uh, because that makes sense. Yeah, how does that even work? Are they like triple pinatas? <laughs> what I told myself was that Cyrano didn't make them preg- didn't make them sterile. He just removed whatever they give birth out of. There's a disgusting image. So now everybody who's listening to this show is forced to imagine a fat guy in a vest with a lot of pockets <laughs> cauterizing triple vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I think it's time to move I'm on. I'm a man who enjoys my work, Captain Kirk. <laughs> I work hard, and I run a a square deal, and I solder closed a triple vagina. I don't think we're topping that, gentlemen. Any any other points on this one before we move forward? Uh, I just wanted to bring up um, the noises that Scotty and Bones make while they're doing their work. Oh, yeah, when when Scotty's beaming um, uh, Cyrano Jones aboard, he's like, uh, I'm working on it now, sir. I don't know, cling on, I don't know. And then when Bones is scanning the triple, it's... <laughs> it's like they're doing a, a Bluto from Popeye thing. It's a vagina goes closed. <laughs> oh. oh, Lord. <laughs> All right. Oh. I, uh... So you have a uh, you have an alternate title for this one, Brian? Uh, yes, my alternate title for uh, more triples, more troubles is um, the further trouble with triples. Because if you're going to be lazy with your episode title, why be only half lazy? <laughs> That's fair. Uh, and a and a quote. Uh, and for my quote, I was I was thinking like I could have been sarcastic with this because there was plenty of you know ridiculous stuff to choose, but. I liked some of the good writing in in dialogue, if not in plot. So here's. Uh, some fun dialogue from the Klingons, hampered by James Doohan's awful reads he was doing in this episode. So this is after the uh, Tribbles get beamed over to the ship. He did it to us again! 
That tin-plated, overbearing excuse for a starship captain did it to us again. Blast that thing! Any other orders, sir? Yes. Don't do that again. Yeah, doing... I, I don't know. Last time I made a run through the animated series, my overall impression was... He did a lot of incidental voices. He gets a lot of credit because, you know, he he carried a lot of the load. But going back through here, he just wasn't as talented as I remembered. Well, no, he does not really that. He had the one voice. <laughs> well, no, he's got he's got Scotty. And then he's got, he's got oh, baby. He's got Scotty and he's got high-pitched alien. No, and then he's got the, the, the deeper thundering, what should have been the voice of the Guardian of Forever. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, well, because... So Okay. I mean, he he does better in 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 my next episode playing playing you know the main villain there. Mm-hmm. He's certainly better than the big guest star of Matt's episode, which I'm not going to spoil. But yeah, that was very strange. That, <laughs> that was, was a surprise. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about the survivor? All right. You like that segue, guys? Yeah, very <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> All right. So while on routine shit detail yet again, an ongoing theme in the animated series, the Enterprise <laughs> picks up a small ship in distress. It belongs to foppish billionaire Carter Winston, a mustachioed neckerchief enthusiast voiced by a barely trying Shatner, or so we assumed at first. Yeah. Winston just happens to be the fiancé of the breathy-voiced security officer, Lieutenant Ann Norrid. He's also been missing for five years. Bones gives him a checkup in the, uh, in the medical lab, and despite some strange fluctuations that he attributes to broken instruments, gives him a clean bill of health. Winston then goes and breaks up with Lieutenant Ann. Having done this, he turns into a fra- into a frankly boss-looking squid monster, knocks out Kirk, assumes his form, and steers the ship into the neutral zone. When the crew argues that steering the ship into Romulan space might not be the best idea, Carter argues, on the contrary, it's an awesome idea, shut up. <laughs> Unfortunately, the crew is pretty used to this sort of crap from Kirk. Carter then leaves the bridge to go impersonate Bones and fudge his own medical records. Kirk regain con- regains consciousness and goes up to the bridge to find out what the Sam Hill is going on. He and Spock figure out some weirdness is happening and then head down to sick bay where Winston has disguised himself as a table. Kirk threatens him with real acid and Carter, realizing <laughs> that goggles that any goggles he tried to form would do nothing, reveals himself. Kirk and Spock wrestle with the squiddy thing, but it escapes, once again taking the form of Carter Winston, the only person on the ship who would raise any suspicion. <laughs> he encounters Lieutenant Anne, who tries to arrest him, but lets but then lets him go instead. Winston will go on to murder her uncle Ben, forcing her to learn <laughs> learn a valuable lesson about power and responsibility. For though the world may mock Anne Norad, t- timid security officer, it will soon marvel at the awesome might of Spider Anne. Carter uses this opportunity to sabotage the Enterprise's deflector shields. Uh, uh, sorry, Matt. Excuse me. You mean sabotage? Excuse me. All right. Carter uses this opportunity to sabotage the Enterprise's deflector shields. At about this time, the Romulans attack, threatening to impound the Enterprise and tow it away. Presumably, from there, it would be auctioned off at Starfleet's expense. Kirk suspects that Carter is actually a Romulan spy who has, lured, who has lured the Enterprise here so the Romulans can capture it, so he still stalls for time. Carter, meanwhile, has met up with spider Ann again and reveals, and reveals himself in all his squiddly glory. He tells, he tells her that he met and befriended the real Carter, who then died. The alien took his form and also his memories of spider Ann. He tells her that he loves her and realizes that he has endangered the ship, so in a heroic act that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, he takes the form of the Enterprise's deflector shield and dies in the vacuum of space. I mean, saves the ship from Romulans. 
Kurt places him under arrest, but puts Spider-Man in charge of him. <clears throat> so good for all of them, I guess. <laughs> okay, so our assumption, all three of us assumed that uh, yeah. Carter Winston, which great name, by the way, <laughs> that um, is a good name, was, was voiced by Shatner because it, it, it sounded like Shatner sort of doing this, kind of having a cold or something. Mm-hmm. But not Shatner, apparently, Matt discovered. Nope. Really? I found out it was I didn't Ted bother Baxter. <laughs> Ted from, Baxter, uh, yeah. No. From the Mary Tyler Moore show. Ted Knight, yeah. Um and, and he wow. did a lot of he did a lot of cartoon voices in the seventies. Yeah. Not, uh, like he was uh if I'm not mistaken, he was later at the Hall of Justice. Yeah, that was him. Yeah. Yeah. There's this hole. <laughs> Snake fish. Um <laughs> But if that is if that was Ted Knight, and I have no reason not to believe that, he was doing a Shatner impression because he sounded yeah. so Shatnery. He sounded exactly like I didn't even consider for a second it was anyone else. Yeah, me neither. Are you gonna tell me that was actually June Foray doing Anne Norad and not uh Nichelle Nichols whispering? <laughs> oh man, that would have been great. No, it turned out that that actually was Nichelle Nichols. Nichelle Nichols <laughs> whispering everything to pretend she has a different voice. <laughs> Not yeah, you know, I, I give her credit for trying to <laughs> trying to keep up with Majel Barrett, but sorry, no. <laughs> she was doing a lot better than uh, Shatner's apparently atrocious Ted Knight. <laughs> <laughs> By Bushwood? Yeah. <laughs> that only makes sense if you've seen Caddyshack, which I don't think you have, so. I have, oh, and well. that was a funny joke you just told, Al. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um, Can I just point out that apparently every woman on the ship has a fiancé that's been missing for five years? Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't put that together. Because Chapel had another. one, and wasn't there another one also? Um, well, the only I, other fiancé that leaps to mind is that uh, the couple that tried to get married during, uh, I think it was Balance of Terror, and then oh, yeah, he and ended then, up dying. Uh, See, this reminds me of... The chick Bones was dating in the Man Trap, who turned out to be have been a monster oh, creature. Yeah, there's, there's that's, yeah. that's the one I was thinking Echoes of. of that. Yeah. yeah, but that was an ex girlfriend, and there was a, there's a lot of that too. There's a lot of yeah. you know, I used to date this person, and now and you know. now she's. It turns out she's been impersonated by a monster for five years. Yeah, um, Carter Winston apparently space had a face is tiny. You guys. Yeah, well, we're always running into the same people. That's that's, <laughs> that's why you ran into Cyrano Jones and Koloth and Tribbles and Quinjo Triticale all in the same week. <laughs> yeah. What are the odds, Captain Kirk? Surprisingly good. <laughs> Thank See, you, Spock. And that was that was the one advantage, and we'll, we'll get to this much later. But that was that was the one advantage I thought Deep Space Nine had, which you could have all the people coming back because you're staying in the same place. Yeah, yeah, it, it made, made sense. a little more sense. Cisco, that. Yeah, Cisco's girlfriend was always around because yeah. she had to fill up, you know, her. Yeah, yeah stop at the space yeah. gas station. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I I didn't. I didn't understand. Carter Winston apparently was like, a, I don't know, a billionaire or something. Yeah. Uh, in the future, philanthropist. In the future where there's no money. I didn't he's quite rich, get that. He's, he's rich in friends, Al. Oh, well. He is exactly the type of person I would have described in the 70s as man about town. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, he really looked like a 70s billionaire. Well, he did All have say, chief. He looks like Carter Winston. Mm-hmm. He absolutely is the embodiment yeah. of Carter Winston. If you hear right the, word, the name Carter Winston, you will picture him perfectly in your mind. Yeah. Oh, what was that that guy that was always hanging around with the Teen Titans? Oh, God. Uh, the guy with the... Cur- oh, God. What the fuck was his name? <laughs> the dude with, with the curly the- hair that married uh, yeah. Troy. Oh, God. I hate that guy. What the hell is his name? It, well, he looked like him. Yeah, he did. <laughs> okay. Um... 
Well, those of you who know that guy, he looks like that. <laughs> yeah, that guy, you know, this is the best podcast ever. Making <laughs> references is so universal. Well, here, here's the thing, Brian, and I know you've been on the other side of this. Uh, <laughs> when we can't think of something, there are people yelling at their at their players. What I know, the actual I've answer is. I feel like it was Terry something. Uh, uh, Terry Long, that was it. Terry Terry Long. Shelly yes. Long. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I did like the, not not to take away from your Teen Titans discussion here, fellas. I, you know, I don't want to. Uh, What's this podcast about? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I did like the acknowledgement that Bones has a daughter. Um, yep. I, was that ever actually official canon? That otherwise? was supposed to be, and then they changed. Like his daughter was supposed to be uh, in Way to Eden. Right, that's right. Originally. Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, did we get any other mentions? Like, I know her name's supposed to be Joanna. I, I remember that just from random things that I know mm-hmm. about Star Trek, but. I don't ever remember if it was officially in canon or if this mention was like the only time. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the first, uh, hmm. uh, the first sort of mention of him having a daughter. I just I like that because they never really dealt with, and they dealt with this a little in the 2009 movie, but they never really dealt with the fact that Mons is clearly older than yeah. uh, than Kirk and and well, I guess not Spock because he's Vulcan and he ages differently, but you know what I yeah. mean. Like he's he's clearly older and he had a life before he he joined Starfleet and right. All he was left with was the bones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's nice to see that uh, some evidence that he used to be married and he had a daughter. And that's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah. Well, he used to be just like a doctor, right? Yeah. Uh, just a simple country doctor. Sure. Yeah, that's exactly. why, that's That's why he was. And this is not just from the new movie. This is apparently actual canon. That's why he was senior medical staff on a major ship as soon as he left the academy mm-hmm. was because he was a heck of a good doctor. And all he had to do was get the how to be in space training. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. That makes, that when, makes total sense. Because when you're on medical, you don't need all the rest of that business. Yeah, you need basic uh, crisis training and combat training because, uh, you know, there are situations <laughs> where he might have to actually, you know, be an officer. Yeah, but you don't actually have to know as much how to, you know, work the transporter and, you know, make X decisions about first contact because that's going to be... Listen, you know, act, that's act, Chekhov's act, job. Act, oh, is you that know, what Chekhov's job is? <laughs> you know, Doctor, maybe if you knew how the transporter worked, you wouldn't be so afraid of it. Yeah, maybe you should shut up. Look, it's easy. You put on the mustache, and you move the thing up, and you move the thing down. (laughs) Can I just say, by the way, going back to the last episode, that I love that when we're looking at Kyle from the back, you can see the edges of his mustache poking out. That is how hard that mustache rocks. You can see it from other ships. That's that's what they should have done to get rid of Carter Winston, is to have, you know, He had one of those mustaches. And then, like, the force of the two mustaches in the same room would cause, you know, something to happen. I don't know. That would tear the universe apart. Uh, that's probably a good idea. I, they I, didn't do that then. I think mustaches have polarities, so I think if they were <laughs> if they were opposite polarities, they'd be drawn together. Either that, or they would just reverse polarities, and one of them would turn upside down and get like a Fu Manchu, <laughs> and the other one would have like a you know barbershop handlebar. Yeah, exactly. I want to start seeing them grow together. <laughs> They just grow across the room towards they're like, each yes. other. They're like twins conjoined by the mustache. Yes. Wonder twin powers activate. Oh no, that means they're kissing. Never mind. Yeah. Well, and and he is a shapeshifter, so uh, I just wrote myself some slash fiction. <laughs> form of creeped out. Yeah. No kidding. I did like the look of the alien, though. I like his his natural form. I, I'm glad you liked it because it's in my episode too. <laughs> well, the uh, I guess it's from watching this. Like, I have very faint childhood memories of watching the show in, in the 70s because I am quite old, you see, and I was I was a child <laughs> oh, in the yeah. 70s. No, no, no. You've got years left. <laughs> hey, nobody even talked about that. <laughs> like that. He could die at any minute. <clears throat> he hopes. I No, but really, like, I, I, 
I say this as a joke, but I say it because it really is outside you guys' frame of reference. This this show probably wasn't in reruns when you were little, but uh, but to me, that's what an alien looks like. It's got those weird tentacly things. Like the the yeah. aesthetic of aliens has kind of evolved over time, and and in my head, that's what an alien should look like. Whereas to you guys, it's probably something entirely different. Well, it's a regular guy with 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 rubber on his forehead. Yeah, exactly. Mm. No, and and I think the animated series, like well, they, where they got lazy a lot, I do like occasionally they we actually got some cool non-human aliens that we didn't see anywhere else. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, they're they're called Vendorians, which I assume that means they must like all overlap slightly because <laughs> Venn diagram. Yeah, I got nothing. No triple at all. <laughs> all right. Speaking of uh, freaky looking aliens. Oh yeah, the first we appearance the first of appearance of Mres. Oh God. For people who don't know who Lieutenant Mress is, why don't you uh, tell them? She's like the Enterprise's local cat chick. Yeah, she looks like she belongs yep. in the musical Cats. Yes. Like she's a normal human being, only she has a cat head. Yeah, her last name is Rum Tum Tugger. And we all say, oh, well, I never. <laughs> You're losing me with the Andrew Lloyd Webber references here. I could make a lot of cat jokes that nobody listening would get <laughs> if I wanted to. Could you just keep it to I can has cheeseburger, please? Because otherwise you're outside of my... Uh... <laughs> that cat doesn't speak proper English. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really hoping um, it's that cheeseburger. Uh, that when when Mress... Is that how it's pronounced? I think so. When Mress first appeared on the screen, the noise I made exactly was, whoa! And you both paused and asked me if that was a scared whoa or a sexy whoa. Yeah. And I was pleased to report that it was a scared one. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we so you say. <laughs> we we have said on on our other show that uh, we we do not judge, particularly when it comes to people of the furry persuasion. And uh, I could see her appealing to someone who had those leanings. And uh, apparently, you don't. That's fine. But <laughs> I I wasn't going to judge if you did. But hey, we're all cool here. <laughs> Listen, and if we want, you know, uh, a cat lady with. Giant hair and scary, scary, scary eyes. Oh my god! <laughs> well, I'm looking at the. You know, we we usually have little uh, talking point notes uh, when we when we start the show to pull the curtain back here a little. And and Matt has written down here seven or eight times <laughs> that he's scared of Mress. Oh, every time that... she sh- like they kept doing these close ups of her, and every time I was just like, ah. Well, I... and because in between the past two episodes, I asked you guys, Mress had shown up in the other ones, and you're like, no, I mean, we know she exists, but she's not. And then. Yeah. There she is, her face encompassing the entire screen. Yep. Well, that's just that, that's just uh, filmation not wanting to animate beyond her face. Like they don't want to show her tail twitching or whatever. But uh... for just two shots in the entire episode, and she's not seen again. Yep. Yeah, it's just oh god, where were you? Well, and it, and it's the same with Eric's, where you don't really get an explanation. It's just there's this creepy alien guy now, and he's kind of cool. Oh. And uh, and then there's I... that bird guy on the uh, oh yeah, bird guy, the Guardian of Forever planet. I like Eric's because in the four episodes I watched with you guys, he did not do a single thing. He just sat there staring straight ahead with this this tiny little smile on his face. <laughs> like, yes, here I am in Chekhov's seen As if he'd seen too much. <laughs> Gone too far. It was more like he was he was thinking of a funny YouTube video he had seen the other night. Like, well, he was uh, thinking of... Rest in the in the canteen, asking for a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> they would not give it to her. It was great. <laughs> oh, baby! 
Invisible Romulans. <laughs> Nomeres cloaking device. <laughs> I uh, I I will cop to thinking that there's a, I don't know something about Major Barrett doing kind of that that purry voice is okay maybe a little sexy maybe it was me that I'm not judging because uh, <laughs> I got to you tell yourself told yourself afterwards no no I got a thing for Major Barrett I'll, I'll I know totally you. cop to that yeah like like Matt has a thing for uh, Doctor Pulaski yeah exactly exactly uh-huh. like that <laughs> no I I honestly thought as Chapel she was quite fetching as number one she was fucking hot. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. uh, and I even think she aged okay when she played Loxana. Like, you know, for an older lady. Uh, I'm, glad, right. I'm glad she stopped singing all of the uh, computer's lines, though. Yeah, see, I I didn't think she had the, the voice quite downright in, in these episodes. Or at least, I think it was the previous one. Yeah. Where... Every time the computer talked, oh, see, I it like sounded that. like this. That's what computers sounded like... like back then. Yeah, but it was like, it wasn't quite, well, I'm not getting across because I'm not sexy Major Baron, but. <laughs> that is true, it, I'm afraid. It was like extra sing-songy. Yeah. But again, Working. I think that's, I think that's what the, uh, the, the, you know, the audiences of the late 60s, early 70s thought computers sounded like, so, you know. <laughs> computers sing, right? They have yeah. punch cards, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. There's, uh, which, there's, which 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 we also get to see. Yeah, that that actually makes an appearance in in my, my episode coming up, which uh, they 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 show their records, and we've never actually seen these record tapes they talk about, and it's reel to reel tapes and punch cards. Just way of the off. future. Yep. <laughs> and you guys, way of the future. Way of the future. Way guys, of the future. What is this? The end of the aviator? Stop it. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. This is the end of the Aviator podcast, right? Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> you guys growing up in the 80s probably don't even know what a punch card is, is the thing. I've heard I, tell. It was the subject of some jokes on The Simpsons. Oh, well, there you go. All right. Anything else about this one? Or uh, I think forward? we're good. Matt? Oh, I love. I loved why the alien who was impersonating Winston actually left uh, oh, God, his race in the first place. Because his so planet stupid. needs it. No, he, he, no left the he wasn't good at anything. Oh. Yeah, that's true. He had the speech about how I, he's a non-producer or something like that. Yeah, I do not produce anything. I am useless. I know a lot yeah, of people so like then, that. So then he went off and so then he went off and hung out with Ensign Sadsack. <laughs> Me too. Don't nice. leave us. <laughs> we are so lonely. Uh, what was your alternate title for this, Matt? My alternate I actually, while I was writing this, uh, sort of went into Rocky and Bullwinkle mode. <laughs> <laughs> well, then give us the right delivery on it. A fistful of shat, or that's the way the Carter crumbles. Very nice. <laughs> All right, and your quote? Uh, I had uh, Kirk and Spock working their way through ridiculous antics. Is something wrong, Captain? I'm not sure. I went down to my quarters to dictate the accident report, and I seem to have fallen asleep. I've never done that before. Perhaps you needed the rest. We are on course through the neutral zone, sir. The neutral zone? We have no authorization to enter it. Did you order a course change, Spock? No, sir. You did. Ridiculous. No captain in the Starfleet would do that unless it was a matter of life and death. I believe that was the reason you gave, Captain. Very well. Those antics were ridiculous. Oh, those yes. antics. I actually can't remember what I what my, uh <laughs> No, yeah. but we all have to react like we're hearing the quote now. So yes. uh, don't spoil the magic. <laughs> if that's what they took out, imagine what they leave in. 
Uh, oh. We are really just showing everybody how the sausage is made this week. Oh, I edit all that out. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, Brian was generous enough to to sign up for two of this week's <laughs> four episodes. So <laughs> no, I no. Yeah, uh, enjoy yourself under the bus and tell us all about the Infinite Vulcan. The Infinite Vulcan, which I will tell you right off the bat, was written by none other than TV's Walter Koenig. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's pull back the curtain on that one real quick. Um, Koenig, of they, course, was not offered a voice role, right, to save money, basically. Yeah, and his it, consolation it, prize was we'll let you write an episode. Well, what it was was that he was writing something else, and then he gave it to like he hired Gene Roddenberry's secretary to type copies for him. And then she was like, hey, this is really good. You should write an episode of the animated series. And he was like, I don't really want to, but I feel awkward saying no. And oh, I didn't know that. He, that's what he says. He says that like he, he wasn't really sure how to, mm. which is definitely comes across. Yeah. But um, <laughs> he said good. it was just a, it was a very strange and unpleasant experience for him and for everybody <laughs> involved. I prefer the idea that, oh, you should write an episode for the animated series, and him going, animated series? Nobody <laughs> called me. <laughs> what? Yeah. All right. Well, why don't you, why don't you tell us? us? Okay. So, the Infinite Vulcan. Not the Intimate Vulcan, as you uh, inadvertently said a second ago. Did I? <laughs> yeah. They're just, Damn, you know. I would totally rather hey, watch that. Yeah. You, you, you and Maris, me and Spock. What can I say? <laughs> so... V opens this episode with, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Uh, we open this episode with the crew going to a new planet to explore, as you do, and they are astonished that there may be life forms about. This, despite the you know buildings and rocket ships that are all around. <laughs> Kirk and the gang go off to seek out new life and new etc. And Sulu stays behind to uh, to look at the fuzzy prancing pink thing that's grabbed his attention. Real classy, Koenig. Yeah, we know you knew. <laughs> It's a mobile plant, says Sulu. They're everywhere. There's no indication that it's a plant, and the animators only bothered to draw one, but he's got the tricorder, so let's take him at his word. He picks it up, and in a moment that will be entered into Academy textbooks as a key example of, for the love of crap, don't pick up strange alien flora or fauna or both, gets poisoned. Bones tries to revive him, but can't figure out the right antidote. Where's your precious science now, McCoy? <laughs> Fortunately, some... Floating asparagus octopuses arrive to give him the proper cure and show them around the planet. They also make many oblique references to someone called the Master, and really, has that ever led to anything good? Maybe they should put that <laughs> uh, in the Academy usually. textbooks. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they should put that in the Academy textbooks also. Names to stay away from. The Master. <laughs> sure enough, with a triumphant. <laughs> The crew is attacked by giant, hairy, tentacled pterosaurs. The beasts fly away with a... Bringing Spock with them. <clears throat> oh, that took out my throat. Bringing Spock with them. The aliens mentioned that the Master has waited many years for a specimen like Spock. Damn it, Masters that want specimens are even worse than the other. <laughs> when we finally meet the Master, he's 50 feet tall and orange. The crew calls him human pretty consistently, but again, tricorders. Anyway, they're right-ish. Turns out the Master is Caniclius V, the fifth clone of one of Khan's scientists. Caniclius, whose name is repeated so often you'd think he was Dr. Roger Corby, Dr. <laughs> Roger Corby, tells them to leave. When they refuse, it's time for a... <laughs> Another pointless fight with the flying rape monsters. 
Anyway, after some dithering on the ship, they returned to the planet and, at the alien's request, board a floating elevator platform into a dark hallway, which I can't imagine isn't already in the textbooks. <laughs> after a bit more of the old... They learned that the aliens took Spock to scientifically assist Caniclius in bringing space to the universe or something. How will they accomplish this? By cloning a 50-foot Spock and transferring the old one's brain into it. How will that help? No time! Bones is fine with it, since he held onto his remote control brain box and has been anxious for an excuse to use it again. <laughs> they try to leave with Spock and... Oh, you get it. Anyway, they kill the dickbats with Bones' homemade weed killer because I guess they were plants too? Kirk tries to logic Giant Spock into exploding, even though he's not a computer, and Giant Spock mind melts his brain back into Little Spock. The two giants agree to hang out on the planet to do their science and not kidnap anyone else, and we end with Kirk asking Sulu to teach him karate and calling him inscrutable. Because that's what this episode needed, to be racist. <laughs> yeah, and that is not even a slight exaggeration. That is exactly how the episode ends. Oi. Was Kaning jealous that Sulu got to go on? Because let me poison him and be racist. Yeah, Sulu, could you maybe Sulu, could you maybe teach me that karate sometime? Oh, sure, Captain. Me uh, like it's not because <laughs> no, he's actually the one that had the line, which I imagine Takay must have just been wincing at the whole time. Yeah, it's not just physical; you have to be inscrutable. No, no, no. inscrutable. You have to inscrutable. <laughs> purse your beak. No, he he, he 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 was just he was so upset by the line he couldn't even give it that. <laughs> he oh, it was so bad. It was, and, and for those for those that don't know, inscrutable is like nineteen sixties code slang for you know, it's something that racists would say about Chinese people when they were trying to be nice. Yeah, or in this case, Japanese people was that racist? Probably. No, I was commenting on the racism of the other people. Yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> Let's just all agree that you're a monster. <laughs> Well, in the other universe, in the other universe, he was suddenly Korean. So that's true. No, I I agree that he's a monster that goes <laughs> because uh, they, I was joking about that when I made my first draft of this, and then when I rewatched it again, I'm like, they literally do get attacked by those things like every five minutes. Not and only are that, constantly showing up and waving their corkscrew. At we will see those at least two more times that I can remember. I made a pass through the series probably two years ago, so I don't remember perfectly. But I remember specifically those creatures showing up in at least two more episodes coming. And I'm pretty sure they show well, up in other Filmation uh, Yeah, Filmation shows. loved recycling elements. Like there's, uh, again, coming up in my episode, there's uh, obviously She-Ra. Like mm -hmm. the, the show hadn't been created yet, oh, but yeah, obviously the, the stock model that would eventually become her. Yep. <laughs> I'll, and, and, you know, you may complain that they said Caniculus too much, but I love the sound of that name. They should have said it, it is, all it the time. It is a fine name. Now, mind you, not... Caniculus agenda. Yeah. Not everyone could agree on how to pronounce it. It's sort of the nuclear of the 23rd century. They had uh, Nichelle Nichols and, and Leonard Nimoy saying uh, uh, Caniculus instead of Caniculus. Yes. But then the other half of the... Uh, the crew said it the other way, so I who knows. Shatner was pronouncing it sabotage. Yeah, you say sabotage. I yeah. say ridiculous. I you know again, I loved the backgrounds. That giant control room looked pretty. Damn this was cool. great, and I, yeah, I like that it was. It looked giant. Yeah, but again, I think that's just while the, still being like 
Well, but like while still like being like of an appropriate style to to film, for lack of a better term, the other crew members in. But right. it was still obviously a giant control room, but it, they didn't get like dwarfed or it wasn't like Cybertron where, you know, not to bring that up again, but where the humans were perfectly able to run around, even though it's built for 50 foot robots. No, I, I get you. But I, I, you know, I, I think that's very cool. You're, you're completely right. But I also think that was yeah. an accidental effect of them just using, you know, <laughs> smaller models. It's possible. <laughs> this was also, if I'm not mistaken, the first appearance of, uh, Captain, I think you need to take a look at this. Oh, God, that mess. <laughs> yeah. Which, oh, you can't just tell me from exactly over there? What... No, this is something that was pointed out in uh, the Nitpicker's Guides, actually, and it's bugged me ever since that mm -hmm. guy pointed it out, which is Starfleet you know, crew people love saying, I think you need to see this, and making the captain get up off his ass and go look. <laughs> I think uh, in the, what in is it? It was one of my least favorite ones in this case, because I'm remembering now, it was uh, Sulu said, you're going to want to take a look at this yourself. Yeah. If I was the captain, somebody told me that, I'd be like, no, I'm not going to want to do that. I'm going to want you, the guy that I sent out to yeah, my subordinate, tell me what it is. Exactly. Tell me what it is. Ugh. Sulu, That's if you're your going to show me another flower, I'm going to be really mad. <laughs> the, the one Sulu, thing... you're being really inscrutable today. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I wondered, you know, Spock is a vegetarian. They very famously say that several times. I wonder if he couldn't just eat all these guys with a clear conscience. Because <laughs> they're all supposedly descended from plants, right? Problem solved, Captain. Yeah, exactly. Delicious. I'd like to see that's what happens when they go back to check on the 50-foot Spock. Yeah, giant Spock <laughs> is, like, dipping them in ranch and just biting their heads <laughs> off. Is that... You're like in in continuity because yeah, I imagine he has the same lifespan as a normal size Vulcan. There's a giant old Spock in the universe. Well, technically, the animated series doesn't count as canon. Is how you get around that. But yeah, if if these, if these happen, you know, then, they yeah. say that, but it keeps getting mentioned yesteryear and other stuff. I only know about yesteryear, so, but there's, it's possible other things have. Uh, have gotten as far as I'm concerned, the infinite Vulcan is canon, and giant oh. Spock can make an appearance in yep. the next movie. Oh. We'll have, we'll have giant old Spock show up on a nice planet. Yeah, that would be okay. That, that's a good way to keep okay. him in there with, with Zachary Quinto as well. I'd like to... Is and always has been your giant Kirk. friend. <laughs> What's, what was that, Matt? I'd like to see him fight that ice monster that chased Kirk. Yeah. Which yeah. also had a bunch of flapping tentacles. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. Maybe that was a but, um, deliberate callback. That I, I the only thing I kind of liked about this was the, that he tried to tie it into the eugenics war. I think it's cool, yeah, that that, that got a callback. Oh, yeah. But that's that's really it. I actually, this is the only animated series episode I'd seen. Uh, just because I went to see a screening of uh, Rathacon, and they played this beforehand specifically because it mentioned the eugenics war because of its incredibly tangential connection to. Uh, to that's Khan. correct. Wow. Just to tie everything. Yeah, we got the uh, eugenics the... trilogy, apparently. We got Space Seed, <laughs> this, and uh, Rathacon. Oh, Lord. Yeah, no, it, it just felt very not Star Trek to me in so many ways, and I just got to wonder, how can you be on a show for two years and just not get it? Yes. I mean... Well, Koenig also appeared... Also to get a character in the one episode Mike him in, so clearly he doesn't have a great grasp of Star Trek in general. Yeah, I suppose so. I don't know. I just, uh, I, I don't even have the words. This episode is, I would say, probably yeah, the worst thing. one that they did. 
I mean, do you guys, I mean, I, I don't know if, I, um, Matt, you haven't seen the rest of them yet. Brian, would you? No. Uh... I'll say this, uh, you know, because I've seen most of these. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at least, at least, it's weird because some of them are boring. And like we've said before uh, on the show, I say we like it's been like I've been involved, like you said. Oh, no, you, you jump in with the, uh, with the, the post-show <laughs> we, discussion. We, we think of you as the third, than bad. third post-time core guy. Yeah. No, that's that's definitely true. That uh, Yeah, you, you'd give me an interview, but I wouldn't get it. It would put a gap, and we all know it. <laughs> well, that's probably true. Um, <laughs> no, you're, you're not wrong, though, that, uh, that that boring is worse than uh, than crazy. Yeah, exactly. So at least this episode was insane, and you can imagine Walter Koenig sitting at his typewriter, like panicking and sweating and <laughs> drinking the bismol straight from the bottle. Well, I can't remember which which I know it I wasn't. Have to, I have to do this good. I don't. I don't. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm completely unqualified. Okay, twenty two pages. That's all. I got it. I can do this. <laughs> no, and, and it wasn't me who pointed this out. It was one of you guys. I don't remember which, but um. One of you said it sounded like a five-year-old wrote this episode. And then Spock gets big, and then there's plant guys. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really, all the all the plot beats feel like, you know, a five-year-old telling you some some adventure he made. And up. then monsters attacked again. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a kid, like, running around toy tactile making that noise. <laughs> with, with some spaghetti hanging off of its legs. <laughs> Uh, it was like if Axe Cop was written by a really boring kid. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. All right, so what was your alternate title for this one? Uh, my alternate title was this. It uh, was uh, Starfleet Academy Presents How Not to Run an Away Mission. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured nice. they could repurpose it as an educational film. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, I'm Captain Kirk. You may remember me from such command disasters as leaving Khan abandoned <laughs> on a planet and not noticing when the star nearby explodes. <laughs> Very nice. Hi there. I just wanted to remind you all not to pick up weird shit you see lying around. It tends to kill people. I know it looks pretty, but these are alien landscapes. We have spacesuits for a reason. Yeah. Uh, and, and your quote is, if we didn't know... Uh, yes, uh, my quote was, well, you know, there was a lot of uh, interesting comments uh, on the nature of science in this and uh, some interesting things when Kirk was trying to uh, logic uh, Spock, uh, some really deep philosophical. So I went with one that resonated very strongly with me. And uh, here it is. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Gripping, even. Gripping right. with a giant tentacle penis. <laughs> Okay, moving forward. Moving on as quickly as possible. Matt, you may need the mute speaking button. Of, speaking of anything but that. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, you may need your mute button for this. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> uh, I'm going to now tell you, friends, about the magics, and that's magics with a K, of Megas 2. I should have borrowed your bucket. <laughs> Uh, I had to take on this episode myself because, as of those as those of you who listen to the Sarcastic Voyage podcast may already be aware, Matt cannot talk about the devil without absolutely <laughs> losing his shit. Uh, the Enterprise goes on an away mission to the center of the galaxy, which I thought is where God lived, but I guess we don't know about that yet. Uh, actually, it's kind of cool that they're here on a scientific mission. Uh, NCC 1701D did lots of those, but the original Enterprise always seemed too busy for this stuff. But don't get too comfy with your Earth science, friends. Things are about to take a turn for the mind-bogglingly retarded. The ship encounters a whirlwind in space. You know, space where there's no air. 
<laughs> and Spock steers them into the center of it in hopes of avoiding further turbulence. Actually, what he says is the center of things, which is about <laughs> as vague as you can possibly get without just saying course heading, uh, place. <laughs> they find themselves where somewhere where natural laws don't apply and, oh, God, magic actually exists. <laughs> which, given the whole whirlwind thing, apparently means that they're in Oz now. <laughs> then the devil appears. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, the devil. Goat legs, horns, goatee, that devil. And man, is he ever ripped. Seriously, the devil must do like a thousand crunches a day. So after some predictable bombastic speechifying about primitive humans and so on, Lucian reveals that he's the devil of our ancient Earth myths. Because if Star Trek has taught me anything, it's that ten years of Earth history can't go by without involving some alien from some damn place. He brings the usual gang of away team to a planet, I guess. Where everything's all wavy and Spock turns into a penguin. <laughs> no, not really. That would be far too difficult to animate. I'm pretty sure they just held some cells over the radiator for a couple of minutes. So finally he transforms their surroundings into symbols their minds can understand. So like trees and shit. <laughs> he welcomes them to Megas 2, which for some reason isn't spelled like the number 2, like it's the second planet in the system. It's T-U, as in the Spanish informal for you. Yeah, I don't know. If that's your biggest problem with this episode, you're a lot more forgiving than I am. We spend some time looking at Filmation stock characters, one of whom will clearly be the model for She-Ra in ten years or so. Eventually, and I'm being incredibly generous glossing over this long stretch of exposition <laughs> with the word eventually, we get on with it. Spock convinces Kirk that magic is indeed real in this place and that they should all bone up on their Axio this and their Expecto Patronum that to defend themselves <laughs> from the devil. And he shows up again, hurt that they would think the devil is a bad guy. Where would they get an idea like that? All the magics... Magics with a K. Get the, yeah. Get the attention of some evil spirits or something, or maybe they offended some gods. I don't know. I don't go to church. One of you <laughs> non-atheists might know what's happening here, but I'm kind of out of my depths. I kind of watch Star Trek, so I don't have to know how this crap works. Uh, <laughs> then the crew are in stocks, and it's the 17th century, and pilgrims are persecuting them for witchcraft, because Salem was the only time and place in Earth's history where this ever happened, apparently. And there's a trial, which is incredibly boring. I mean, listen. I was a kid in the 70s, and I can tell you firsthand, long speeches from self-righteous pilgrim lawyers were not on the list of stuff I wanted to see in a Saturday morning cartoon. Not even at the bottom of the list. Spock defends the crew as the least human among them, which is weird since we've met Eric's, Mress, and that unnamed creepy bird guy already. I mean, I'd rather have Spock defending me than anyone else on the Enterprise crew, but couldn't it just be because he's awesome? The not-human thing just doesn't hold up. Anyway, of course, the crew wins the trial, and they have to learn, wait for it, sympathy for the devil. Hoo-hoo. Oh, but it was actually all a test, because of course it was. God damn it. Yeah. I I love the disgust in your voice during that read, dude. I, you know, I, I realize this uh, the summary was uh, a little longer than it should be for a 22-minute episode. A lot happens, but mm -hmm. none of it is, you know, good. It or was like, it was like the opposite of more troubles, more troubles, more troubles. Um, <laughs> because in that one... You know, the writing was fairly solid, but it was predictable, and not much happened, and they had to stretch it out. In this one, it was like they could barely fit every idea they had. Yeah, but yeah, it's just like every time something else, and every time something else is going to happen, the devil would show up again. Yes, and my so, friends, friend Kirk. He actually used the friend Kirk, which was weird. Yeah, he also used. Well, I'd li I'd like to start us off on a positive note by saying my favorite element of the episode was when. You know, there's this thing whenever the devil shows up in anything where they list off a bunch of his miscellaneous names, like, you know, Old Scratch and, you yeah. know, etc. And in this one, 
they call him the Tempter, and they call him Lucifer, and one that they call him is the Rollicker. <laughs> yeah, and, and you fancy yourself, you know, you, you, you know your way around some literature and some I and know some my way around stuff. And, uh, that is not a word that has ever been used to apply to the devil. No, and, and we, we, we were on the Skype call, we just finished the episode, and you, you did some Googling while we were still on the line, and you're like, I don't see this anywhere. It was like the only... And the only thing that made, like, slight sense was that rollicking, of course, means, like, playful and stuff. Well, uh, he, but, even, um, he even says early on, like, uh, let's go rollick uh, or something um, like come, No, uh, it's, um, oh, hold on, I actually wrote it down over here. So, um, it's his, his introduction. He says, call me Lucian, call me friend. Never could I abandon those who come to rollick with me. Right. <laughs> and then he tells them to go where true delights lie. Uh. So Risa, and, and, then, then, and then he loads them. No, that's where crappy episodes van. in his van. Yes, his windowless <laughs> van at the center of the galaxy. No, because then they, then wonder. they, then him and Kirk and Spock and McCoy disappear, which is my favorite shot of the episode because it's Uhura, Sulu, and Eric just standing there like what? <laughs> <laughs> and they, 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 they actually drew like brand new fancy surprised faces for everyone. Oh, nice. Including Eric, so he wasn't just thinking of, you know, whatever he saw in a rerun of Martin last night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently Spock is a wicked sorcerer. I guess I buy that under the incredibly stupid circumstances. Like, well, I mean, if anyone's... God, guess when he started sorcerer. waving his hands around and... Oh, God. Yeah, he was... Well, one thing we learned from the, the animated series is that he's an accomplished hand waver. <laughs> this, this is true, because it's easy to animate a hand wave. Yep. That's exactly why he's good at it. No, he's he's trying to illustrate to them that uh, while it's illogical, it is how things work here. And he's like moving a chess piece, and then he's like, "I we better bone up on this stuff because we might have to fight the devil." And so well, there's what should have been an awesome training montage where everyone learns magic. They just gloss right over that part. What um, it makes sense because that's how in, in in the Marvel universe it's always bothered me a little bit that you get like your science guys or in dc also is that like how can batman be in the same universe as the specter that doesn't really mm -hmm. make sense but they actually had one thing where reed richards had to team up with dr strange mm -hmm. and just learned how to do magic just by watching the way dr strange was moving his hands but oh, it's yeah, it like oh yeah that's how you do it okay so if i do this and this and this that affects this natural force that i don't quite understand which you are referring to as magic <laughs> Well, right, that's, like, that's how they managed to get Thor yeah. in on that, you know, in the, for the Thor movie, so that yeah. everything can coexist for the Avengers. Um, although, <laughs> very quickly, speaking of, of Marvel, isn't Doctor Doom a magic scientist? Yes. Yes, yes, he is. They, they hardly ever bring it up, but he does do magic sometimes. And science. So, you and know, science. you can be both. Behold, Richard, that was my when, magic science. That was, that was when he was in his uh, funky leather armor. Ah, well. So, anyways. he was more magic at the time. Right. <laughs> well, that's apparently at the center of the galaxy. There's a there's a uh, a cyclone cloud, and then a planet that looks like a uh, a strawberry cream lifesaver, and then there's Matt. Oh, now I'm now I'm hungry. Warp you to a land that's a combination of Oz, Wonderland, and Salem, and you'll be led around by a guy with little horns who doesn't have fancy leather armor, but does look like he has pretty leathery skin. Yep. Yeah, and like I say, the 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 biggest muscles like this side of He Man, like they're, they're fucking ripped. It's I think he was compensating for his stubby little arms. <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice that until you pointed it out. But his arms were a bit out of proportion to the rest of his body. That's why he's so. That's why the devil's so angry because his arms are too short to box with God. <laughs> that's for everybody that laughed at the cat's joke earlier. <laughs> 
Uh, Christ. Yeah, this was, I mean, and, and this is another one where it was utterly ridiculous, but kind of fun to watch just because, you know, <laughs> well, it's, it's, you kind of remember these episodes with a, with a quick shorthand. Giant mm-hmm. Spock, the one with the devil. The Rollicker. <laughs> yeah, the Rollicker, of course. Sorry. That, that would be, if I was picking an alternate episode title, it would have been Captain Kirk meets the Rollicker. <laughs> well, actually, that's that's surprisingly similar to what I came up with. But oh, is it? Oh, we'll get did I, just, that's I, okay. I, oh, I, I closed I didn't mean to step on your toes. Not a problem. You, can edit, that, you can edit that out. My, my goat hooves. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to step on your hooves. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was checking that by the way. I was wondering if maybe his arms only looked short because he had like extra long goat legs, but no, they only come to like his waist. Oh, <laughs> that's just uh, again filmation. Yeah, what, what it's, are you a good, it, it's a good thing I have goat legs because I could never tie my own shoes. <laughs> <laughs> now, Bill, excuse me, I have to pull a truck with my teeth. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that I have a lot more to say about this one. Honestly, I mean, it was you know, it's just weird. It was. Okay, they, I, I don't like, I've never liked the idea that, okay, we have a science fiction show, so let's do a magic episode. That just Exactly, yeah, I don't like that. I don't either. It doesn't I mean, fit. No. You it, it, it really does. Like, I, there's some stuff I will watch, like, I will watch where it's like, oh, yeah, they've got magic. It's, you know, different kind of science. It doesn't work with Star Trek. Yeah, no. And it doesn't, well, I mean, going back to the comics thing, it's like, you know, Batman doesn't fight aliens. That's what Superman and Green Lantern are for. Right. It's fine to have magic stories. There's nothing wrong with magic story, but no. the Enterprise crew isn't. Well, let's magic. Let's, uh, like they're not the people that deal with magic. Let, let's let's flip this around on uh, on a show that we're all familiar with, Buffy. When uh, a dude built an android replica of his ex girlfriend, that felt out of place too. It's like yeah, that was it, not. Uh, this is a show about magic. It's not a sci fi show. What is this doing here? Just like if yeah, they introduced right. aliens on that show, it would have been completely weird and out of place. Yes, exactly. They, they did in that one episode. Did they? Yeah, it lived on Buffy's mom's ceiling when she came home from the hospital. That was I an don't alien? That at all. Yeah, it, well, he crashed out of space. I assumed it was an alien. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? I uh, should. In any case, <laughs> mixing mixing the two just doesn't work for me, and apparently doesn't work for you guys either. So that makes me feel yeah, a little better. No, it's it's yeah. And this uh, is a science fiction show. They should have science fiction problems. And, and you you had pointed out that there's similarities to kind of a, a crummy episode of Next Gen. Uh, the what is it, Devils Do. <laughs> Devils Do. Yeah. Where at least they they point by point go and and disprove that magic exists with their science, which you mm-hmm. know, I yeah. would much rather they do. It's 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 always nice the when... devil do a fiddle contest. Well, yeah, unfortunately, uh, the devil doesn't no. play trombone, so it got called no. off on a technicality. The devil was a hot woman, and that episode, Riker just smiled at her, and she became pregnant, and that was the end of it. <laughs> what did I refer to him as in the pre-show? A thundering tower of masculinity. <laughs> we listen. You need to save that. We will, we will gladly bring you back for next gen, but uh, <laughs> we have lots of praise to heap on Riker. Let's <laughs> one crew at a time, please. One. We'll come back to it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, any, anything more on this one? We're, we're starting to run a little long here, guys. So. Oh, all right. Uh, no, I, uh, I think we have said all that it's possible to say without, you know, powerful recreational drugs. <laughs> Matt? The devil is hilarious. So you say. Well, uh, my, my alternate title, uh, I, I didn't have anything particularly clever. I just wanted to go with the usual standard Star Trek title. I went with the Ro- Rolliker Initiative. <laughs> Or, you know, some, something along those lines, anyway. The, the Rolliker incident. The or The Rolliker you know. agenda. Yeah. The, I mean, the Rollicking maneuver. Yeah. Very <laughs> nice. Uh, 
Uh, my my quote actually, I had a quote that's not even from this episode that I, that I wanted. <laughs> um, th- this quote is actually from some dude put together a fake set of uh, public service announcements that should have gone at the end of the animated series but didn't. Mm. And I was really amused by the one that he did for this episode. So here's that. What an incredible adventure, Jim. A planet at the center of the galaxy where the use of magic was commonplace. And we were befriended by Lucian, a cloven-footed fellow with horns. We could even do magic here in the ship, like when I conjured up that beautiful woman. But we got in trouble by the Megans when they learned we were from Earth. I guess they were afraid that we would once again hunt them down and burn them alive, like during the Salem Witch Trials of the late 1600s. It all goes to show just how important it is not to tamper with what you don't understand. And don't consort with the devil. But uh, if I actually had to pick an actual quote for this episode, which I guess I do... You um, better. We had to. There's yeah. uh, there's a bit when uh, the Enterprise first shows up at the at the lifesaver planet, and uh, there's these these ooh creepy spirits start floating around, and uh, George Takei because again they don't they don't have a lot of voice guys they have to they have to double up people. Uh, George Takei got to be the angered spirits, and I just thought it was delightful. So here's that. So the people of Earth would spread their evil to our home. We are ready for human perfidy this time. This time, it is the humans who shall suffer. The humans and you, Lucian, who shall pay. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm a ghost. (laughs) So, um, that's that's this week's show. Uh, Brian, we definitely appreciate you uh, joining us. I'm sure we'll be back. It was a relatively good time. I you would not find a time more rollicking than this one. Uh, uh, I find oh, this... you know what would be a good one. For the world is hollow, and I have rollicked. Uh, <laughs> I find and the all... children shall rollick. I find this all very tribbling. <laughs> all right, Matt, say your catchphrase so we can get out of here. Turnabout yeah. rollicker. <laughs> I want to see uh, take a famous quote and replace it with rollicker. <laughs> we'll get on that hashtag right now. <laughs> all right, see you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2011. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun. <laughs>